Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist. My name is Fiametta Rocco, and I'm the books and arts editor at The Economist. With me today to talk about his new book, The Invention of Russia, is Arkady Ostrovsky, our Russia and East European editor, who used to be our bureau chief in Moscow. Arkady, you have been writing about aspects of Russia for such a long time now, yet this is your first book. Why this book, and why now? Well, to be honest, um, this book sort of evolved as I've been covering Russia, and it evolved out of a number of questions that I kept asking myself. I was born in Moscow. I grew up there. I got my first degree there, and I went to university when Gorbachev was in power, uh, launched Perestroika, and the country was opening up. It was an amazing time of hope and promise, and I remember the excitement of those years. I lived in London, uh, returned to Moscow only in 2003, uh, first with the Financial Times and then with the, with the Economist. And the longer I stayed there, the more I realized how different the country had become. Uh, from that promise of the late 80s and early 90s. And I asked myself that question is, where did it go wrong? What was the point? Was there counter-revolution? And the, the more I reported on Vladimir Putin's Russia, particularly after the annexation of Crimea and the war in Ukraine, the more I asked, where was that point? It's interesting that you choose the media as the prism for telling the story of Russia's post-Soviet transformation. I've never seen that done by anyone before, I don't think. Why was that? Why did it work for you? Because I suddenly realized that neither economy, nor politics, nor foreign policy explain what happened to the country. It doesn't actually tell you the full narrative, the full story. And then I started looking at the media, not just the newspapers and television, but the people who were editors, who were the ideologues and ideologists and the people who formed and programmed the country and the enormous importance of words and images that played in Russia's transformation, probably unparalleled, simply because Russians, as Ivan Pavlov, the famous uh, Russian physiologist, once said, you know, Russian people are strange in, the, in that they respond to signals more than they respond to reality. And by that he meant that the weight and the role of ideas and words plays often a greater role in ideologies than the actual reality that people live in. So these people, this generation from the 60s that you talk about, who believed so strongly in the ideals of communism, you also describe them as the gravediggers of the Soviet Union. Why did they do it? After the invasion of Prague in 1968, Russia's westernized or pro-Western intelligentsia split into two groups. One group became dissidents and moved outside the system 
and pushed at the system from 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 the outside and the other group was the group of of those who stayed who stayed within the system thinking that they can do more by being inside than by being outside they were the children of the old bolsheviks their fathers were at the root of the bolshevik revolution and their fathers perished in gulag killed and purged by stalin and so when this generation came and stayed within the system they felt entitled because they were the soviet aristocracy they were the patricians they believed that you can have socialism not just with human face but you can have socialism and truth at the same time and in fact what they very soon discovered was the soviet union was supported and upheld like an arch by two pillars by by this threat of repression and ideology and when they started speaking the truth they pulled the second pillar from underneath the system and the system came crashing down as one of these people said it was a meticulously planned suicide of the system itself and you describe also what happened which was extraordinary generation shift that coincided with the end of the soviet union what happened to their sons and daughters what what did this generation shift really mean in russia That's right the generational shift happened literally over days because what happened at the end there was the communist coup by the KGB in August 1991 the coup lost and with it went down all those hopes for reformed socialism for reformed soviet union and unlike the generation that came with gorbachev the sons and daughters said look your whole experience of life in the soviet union is invalid now we're going to cut it out and chuck it out effectively but by chucking out this whole soviet civilization effectively they also disposed of the if you like of the antibodies to stalinism and to terror that grew with, within the system uh and that was hugely damaging uh in retrospect and that's what made it so easy for putin later to refer back to the soviet um experience and to stalinism so if you're a russian and you're seeing all this through the prism of television what exactly is happening on television why was it important in the post soviet transformation television came first the country was to follow the first private russian television of the 90s was quite glossy was a copy of of western television channels as if the country already had all other attributes of of western capitalism and free market as if it had all the sort of democratic institutions as if it had a middle class as if it had the banking none of those things actually existed it was the television tried to program the country uh then came a moment in uh, 90 rounds sort of 96 97 during the re-election of Boris Yeltsin when television played absolutely crucial role you know re- <clears throat> raising um Yeltsin's rating from uh, single digits to making him win and Uh, there was a lot of manipulation going on and the people who owned russian television at the time the oligarchs decided that they were in charge of the country that they were the elite that will decide the fate it was not it had nothing to do with actually with democracy it had to do with which group felt more uh, powerful and entitled and when people like vladimir putin who was at the time working in st petersburg's office 
saw the power of television in making, you know, half-dead Yeltsin, basically, uh, by that time, uh, had several heart attacks and stroke, making him into president, he realized what incredible power television possesses. And people around him, his courtiers, decided that they can repeat this experiment, do the same thing by just picking apps, you know, somebody nobody ever heard of. And it seemed at the time completely extraordinary and, and impossible, but they did do it. And Putin, who had been created by television, the very first thing he did was to take control over television, and he continued to rule the country almost sort of by remote control. You you make this very curious comparison, at least to a Westerner seems a very curious comparison, comparing television to nuclear weapons. What exactly does that mean in the Russian context? Well, it's not actually me who makes the comparison. Every Russian politician, basically, from the 1980s onwards, talked about television as, as a nuclear button. I think it is one of three things that Putin uses most to run the country, and this is the, the, the basis of his power, is oil and gas, television, and the threat of, of using nuclear weapons. Now, in the latest conflict in Ukraine, we actually saw something quite extraordinary that television didn't just follow the Russian army into Ukraine. Actually, the Russian army followed the television into Ukraine. The television picture came first. They first created a virtual reality. The very first thing that the Russian special forces did when they went to eastern Ukraine was to take over the transmission tower and switch off Ukrainian television channel and put on the Russian television channels. You know, people living in those parts of Ukraine, in eastern Ukraine, which are now torn by war, didn't see any fascists. They didn't see any enemy outside their door. But they they saw something happening. They turned on television. Television told them that they, they're being attacked. And then somebody was redistributing arms in the street. So television was absolutely primary in leading that conflict. And for the Russian audience, this whole war was like a soap opera. But this has now become the foundation of Putin's rule. You know, if you, if you take away television from Putin today, the regime is actually going to collapse overnight. Arkady, thank you very much. That was Arkady Ostrovsky, The Economist's Russia and East European editor, talking to me about his new book, The Invention of Russia. To give it its full title, The Invention of Russia, The Journey from Gorbachev's Freedom to Putin's War, has just been published in Britain by Atlantic Books. It comes out in America next year in June, published by Viking. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.